Are you leaving? Oh, but uh, yeah, if you're uh, Richard uh, is with us online, so if you have any questions, holler at him. He'll be able to answer them, be a blessing. Uh, you'll see a prayer tab. If we could be praying for you, please let us know. We want to be a blessing any way you can, but we're honored to have you with us. Uh, just a few things to bring people up to date. Uh, those that know Charles Seaboat, those that remember Charles Seaboat, uh, he is really struggling and has a big battle in front of him. He has uh, lung cancer that has spread in other parts of his body, but uh, he's been in ICU a second time, but they have released him on hospice uh, to come home. So uh, just keep him in prayer. Probably won't be able to reach him, but uh, he'd be more appreciative probably of your prayers than anything else. So uh, just keep Charles and Pat, his wife, and in prayer during this time and just pray that God gives him the peace he has for him and uh, strengthens him every way possible and then uh, John Rohair started got his first uh, radi was it radiation or chemo radiation treatment this morning he will start chemo tomorrow or Monday oh I thought I thought Renee said it was simultaneous Maybe they can. Anyway, well, he started his, his radiation treatment uh, for his cancer. So uh, continue to pray for him that those treatments go as the Lord would have them to go. And uh, just to keep his spirits up. He's doing well overall, but it's obviously a challenge and a struggle for him. But keep John and Renee. If you want to reach out to either one of them, but uh, reach out to John. Let him know. Or ladies, reach out to Renee. Let her know you're praying. And uh, so those are the two I'm aware of that we just need to keep in prayer. And uh, if you remember from Sunday, Jarek, uh, uh, Chris and Amy for Africa, their son who got impaled by the fence, surgery went great. He's up, walking, been released. So God was a huge blessing to him. There was no, it didn't go deep enough to tear into his intestine. They didn't have to remove any, but he did have to have uh, stitches from intestines to inner stomach to the outside as well so it could have been a whole lot worse and for his young age to have the uh, not only the physical strength but the not to panic to get himself off the fence was uh, was miraculous in its own right so uh, but anyway God was uh, God blessed him greatly and of course Amy and Chris being Amy and Chris they're praising God all the way through this and as we should too so I think that's it. We'll get started here, and uh, we'll get into the last, uh, last couple of verses of uh, Hebrews chapter 1, and uh, we'll do a little review before that, and then we'll get going. So, Father, thank you for tonight, this opportunity together. I just ask that you help us to grow in your grace, and uh, through your word, the most powerful thing we have. Father, I ask that you anoint every word that's spoken, and help it to minister our spirit. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So going back here, you know, we, we, we talked about, so we spent five weeks on Hebrews chapter 1. Folks, we could have spent a year in the first four verses of Hebrews 1. And, and so for time's sake and to make some progress, we hit on some highlights, some points. So let's review. Who can tell me something over these last five weeks, something we've gleaned from the first 12 verses of Hebrews chapter 1? Let's look at verses 1 and 2. 2 says, Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed, what? Heir of all things. So one, we know, in context of the body, we know, and we're going to emphasize this here in a second, we know it's God the Father, Yahweh, 
who is talking in respects to God the Son. He's identifying him, labeling him. We see that he's giving him authority, giving him power, giving him superiority. And he states here that he is heir to all things. He pointed that out. It goes on in uh, verses 5 through 7. If you're looking at your Bible, just some things you're looking at there, from which he talked about the angels, which was very interesting. He says he appointed him, or the word is made in the King James, made him higher than the angels, greater than the angels. And I think we found that was a very interesting study just two weeks in. The fact that God the Son, who was all a bit a part of creation, was he not? Yeah, he was God of creation. Stepped out of heaven, became the very thing he created when he became flesh. As soon as he did that, giving up certain aspects of his spiritual authority, as soon as he did that, the creator of all things who calls us to live by faith was then in this very same position we were to rely upon faith from the Father and the Holy Spirit to empower him. That's pretty, that's kind of some deep theology there. That God would become the creation and then be dependent upon what he was at one time. Because as God the Son, he did not possess those powers to empower himself. He relied on the power of the Holy Spirit just like he directed us to rely upon. So it shows that verses 5 through 7 that he was also superior to the angels. And by being heir to the kingdom of God, likewise those that trust Christ in eternity, Christ then will make his children believers greater than the angels themselves. Because do we not share in his inheritance? Yeah, we're co-heirs with Christ. And then verse 9, we looked at last week that he appointed, or he was anointed above all things. Meaning it just gave him the power there. That the anointing of the Father, the Holy Spirit upon him, gave Christ the power that he had to do the will of the Father while in the flesh. And then uh, in verses 10 through 12, and went back and identified again that he was the creator. God clarified that he was as much the creator of all things from beginning to the end, the Alpha and the Omega. And uh, does everything else wax old? Does everything else like gar uh, garments will perish? And it says will be folded up. It says, yet Christ is eternal and there he is now so you know those are three distinct attributes i say attributes descriptions the father gives us identifying who christ is just at the onset of hebrews here so we're going to close this out here tonight and it's going to just add emphasis to what's been shared so let's look at verses 13 and 14 here and uh should have it on the screen for us i think he says, but to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool? What's being said here, and we're going to see this because it's greatly, or it's cross-referenced in Psalms 110 is where this is drawn from. But the, the point of here being is that God didn't say, hey, he didn't grab one of the angels. He didn't grab Michael or, or you know, uh, or Gabriel. No, there's the, 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 whole, the, the, the uh, mercy seat of Christ. The right hand of the Father is only for God the Son, God only. So, which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits set forth ministering of them who shall be heirs of salvation? 
So there we are tied in to co-heirs with Christ, meaning we're going to put the emphasis on verse 13 tonight. But in context, verse 14 is telling us that as a believer of God, as a child of the king, accepting Christ as your Savior, we are each appointed a guardian angel. We have a guardian angel that watches over us. It watches over us all the way to eternity. That works in conjunction. Angels go, traveling back and forth through heaven in communion with the, with the Godhead and intervening in our lives according to the Father's will. You want me to tell you how much so? We, uh, some of y'all saw our grandson Mason, but he was getting sick again, so Sam had to take him home. Uh, we drove uh, after church Sunday. Uh, we drove up to Missouri to pick him up to bring him back, and we'll have him for the, the month of uh, uh, July here. Uh, we look so forward to, but we were coming back Monday, a uh, lot of traveling for the holidays. We got on the north side of Little Rock. We were coming in on Highway 40. Uh, it was raining pretty hard, uh, but you could still drive, and all the track was still going 60, 65, some people 70. It doesn't matter who that was, but anyway. So, uh, but anyway, it, it was going fine. Uh, this is the best way I can describe it. We were coming to a bend. If you're familiar, we take it many times. The north side, anyway, 40 starts, it, it you know, takes a bend to the right. There's a big mix master, you know, highways going over. And nobody was talking. Mason's in the back on his laptop, Sam's on her phone, I'm, I'm just thinking. And I notice, have you ever seen when you go underneath the underpass to drain water from the, from the road, you'll see a tube or pipe that comes out that's draining the overpass road? Does that make sense what I'm saying? It, it was, I was on the outside lane, and it, I just, I'm looking back now how all this transpired. I saw that water, and it was gushing out. Not on the highway, but straight down. And, uh, and, and so I'm driving, I'm in the middle of the turn, and as I'm turning, all of a sudden my right hand just goes like that. And the truck keeps on going straight. We're going 65 miles an hour. And traffic's all around us, all three lanes. Front of us, behind us, car behind me, uh, truck behind me. And you know, first thing you do, you can't hit the brakes or anything. So I let, I mean, I let loose the steering wheel, straightened it up, hoping it would grab. And it went across the next lane and started to grab. When it grabbed, it hit more water or something, and we spun two times on I-40 of 60. And as going off, we went across all three lanes. How we didn't get hit, only God, my guardian angel, without a doubt, was with us. Or probably Sam's guardian <laughs> with us. And uh, mine was probably mad at me. But anyway, luckily Sam's was there at least. But there was a massive ravine that dropped off. And the guardrail started. We hit maybe the first three feet of that guardrail. Or we would have gone off that ravine at 60 miles an hour. Or however fast we were going. It messed up my right front end. Then the back end slung around and hit the guardrail and messed it up. And, uh, you know, that was it. We were okay, obviously, we're here. But if you've ever hydroplaned before, it's a blink of an eye. And never came close to grabbing it. And uh, probably thankful that it was raining enough because the car never did grab. Because at one time we were completely sideways. If there had been any dry ground, it, it definitely would have flipped. But uh, so anyway, I'm here to attest to you, we have guardian angels 
according to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. But let's go back and look at verse 13 here. And, and we're going to see, this is interesting because we've got to grab the context here because the emphasis it puts on who and what Christ is in our life. And uh, so in verses 1 through 12, we get the magnitude of the Father's description of Christ and how Christ, even though Creator gave up His authority in the sense of eternal authority and power and became His own creation to bring about the gift of eternal life to us. And with it, He got the anointing, the power, uh, inheritance that we, we get to share. But let's turn to Psalms 110, verse 1, because we see this. It's not the only time. This verse is also used in, uh, we, we see here in Hebrews 1.3, but it's also in Hebrews 12.2. And then we'll see it in 1 Peter 3.2 and Acts 7. Uh, you can make note of, or I'll make note in a second. But I want to look at this verse and, and break this down here. And notice what I said. We know it's the Psalm of David because it, it titles it for us. But then notice the context in which David's saying. He says, the Lord here. And if you go back to, you don't have to flip back and forth, but it says, which of the angels said he at any time sit on my right hand until I made thee thy enemies a footstool. This Lord here is the word, uh, I don't know if I spell it, Yahweh. Okay, this is God the Father that David is referencing for us. So it says, so Psalm of David Yahweh, God the Father, said unto my. Who's my referring to? Yeah, that'd be David in context. So David is speaking on behalf who is going to be his Lord, reference of his Lord, which is Christ, acknowledging where the power came to his Lord, or by way of his Lord. Okay, said unto my Lord. Now, this Lord here, This is the word Adonai. I pronounce right. This is Lord Jesus. Adonai. Thank you. That's right. I mispronounced it. So here David's identifying Lord Jesus. Sit thou at my. That's the Lord. That's the Father again. My right hand until I. That's again the Father. Make thine. Who's that? Who's thine? Ah, there's Jesus again. Enemies thy footstool. Now, this footstool is important because, again, it appears three times in scriptures. Uh, you'll see it in First uh, Peter uh, three twenty-two, I think it was, uh, Acts seven, uh, if I remember right, fifty-five, and then here in Hebrews again, in twelve two, if I remember. So this word, you know, referencing the footstool. Power. What that refers to, that one, it deals always a place of honor or a position of honor. It's something that everything will be relinquished underneath Christ because he's, he inherits everything. Not only he created everything, he inherits everything. He has superiority over things. He has power over things. He's anointed over everything. So it's a place of honor. It's also a, pla it's a statement of affirmation. What's it affirming? Say equality. That by way of it, by that position, 
becomes power, which we saw in the previous verses, and authority, which Christ, that, that God the Father had already identified. But that power and that authority is within the Godhead. So what you have right here in this one verse that even David's acknowledging, which is repeated in verse 13 of Hebrews 1, again goes on into verse 12, 3, then Acts and 1 Peter. But these two verses is identifying one that who and what Christ is. It's a culmination of what God's been talking about in the first 14 verses of chapter 1. And David says, look, my Lord that I interact with, Melchizedek, which you can make a strong theological argument, Melchizedek being Christ. You see that in verse 4 of Hebrews. We'll get into it, not verse 4, chapter 4, I believe. We'll get into that. But David says, or David says there's one greater, one who has anointed, has given all power to my Lord, Christ, whom I serve, who I worship. And that under him that the whole world, all of creation, everything, evil, good, everything will be made a footstool under Christ. And so it's a great scripture that ties in the, the, this completion that we see of, of uh, you know, Hebrews uh, chapter 1, that the Lord is identifying the position. And that's really what really, in a, in a big picture, because we've only just skimmed this for five weeks, but it's painting a clear but a big picture that God himself, of the God, is identifying who and what Christ is. And that everything started with him, just like the Father and Holy Spirit. He had power over things, and he will inherit everything. And everything, because the way of the footstool, will be in submission to him. They'll either be co-heirs, or be crushed by the footstool, those that deny Christ or refuse to accept Christ. Because that's why boldly Christ had to also the authority, but when he says no one comes to the Father, but what? Except through me. <laughs> by statements like this, scriptures like this that we can pull out, that enemies, which we're going to see Christ had his enemies just like we do, but everything in due time will become underneath the footstool of Christ. All of creation so what I want to do is look at here uh, mark can you pull up Matthew 22 did I give you 41 through 45 this will add a little bit of uh, yeah, let's go 40 I think 41 through 45 I may have been a little early while the Pharisees were gathered together Jesus asked them saying what thank ye of Christ is that not an interesting statement yeah, basically, what, hey, how do you like me so far? <laughs> you know, what, you know what, what do you think of Christ? Whose what? Son is what? He, ah, that's an interesting statement. They say unto him, the son of David. He saith unto them, how then doth David in spirit call him Lord? Saying, the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou, here he is, Psalms 110, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thy enemies a footstool. So, and it goes on, If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And so what we just broke down is what Christ is challenging the Pharisees and possibly the Sadducees, but the Pharisees saying, Okay, 
you know, you're, you're going to have to eat some humble pie here. You're going to have to acknowledge who and what I am. Because even David, they didn't have a problem with David. You know, so it's not, it shouldn't be surprising that Jesus goes back and quotes Psalms 110, knowing the Pharisees would have to scratch their head over, oh, David said that? Oh, we got a problem in our personal theology here that you're not the Christ. And, and so what Jesus did is really just force-fed them humble or humility, making them acknowledge David, who they, you know, elevated. You know, so very interesting verse that supports Psalms 110 here. So the religious leaders in Christ's day, they believed in the human Messiah. You, you can go back and see that in verse 42 of, of Matthew, but not in a divine Messiah. They saw him as a great prophet, a great teacher, a great religious leader, one that could do great reformation and, and do all kinds of great things, you know, bring about transformation. But they did not acknowledge him as divine Messiah, God in flesh. And, and so... Uh, this is what he, uh, he humbled by way of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. So what I want to do is go back in verse 13. I want to look at four things that Christ had to deal with that as being co-heirs we have to deal with as well. So it goes back one. He says, I'll make your enemies your footstool. By way of that, does that not, yes or no, that it acknowledges that Jesus had enemies? We know that clearly had enemies. Those enemies killed him, did they not? <laughs> enemies to the great, you know, the fullest definition. Enemies even among men. Because we saw his encounter with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He is always fighting with the religious, you know, rulers. So he had his enemies not only against religious leaders, but also against those that just scoffed at him being the Messiah. So it, it was a multi-front that Christ had to deal, deal with. They, the enemies, they challenged his sovereignty. Uh, they, they, they despised his cause. What was his cause? What was his purpose? What did Christ come to do? Ah, seek and save those that were lost. He came to bring forth the gospel. He was the living gospel, living out the gospel. They despised him greatly for that and claiming this thing that really got him killed is us claiming to be God. Christ never did anything to make them his enemies, did he? No. If anything, did he not go to the nth degree to make them his children? Yeah. He died on the cross. He died on the cross for his enemies just like he did his children. Every soul that's in hell was saved by Christ. Yeah, they just chose not to accept the gift according to Romans 1.16. For the raises of sin is death, but the gift of God. Well, they're not saved. No, Christ saved them. Were they not saved? Yeah, they were saved by the redeeming work of Christ. They just never accepted it. Not, don't want that, don't need that. It made them an enemy, made them a foe. He said, well, I know he loved me because he saved me. Well, he, every soul that rejected him, he loves too because he saved their soul as well. They just chose not to accept it. So meaning what? Will we have our enemies? Ah, the more you live by and in the purpose of the gospel, your list of enemies will grow. Look what it says here in John 15, 18 through 19. In the world, or uh, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. 
Don't get spiritually arrogant. You know, they really only hate us or you or me. They only hate us because of Christ. They, Christ isn't here. Like, see, the Pharisees could point fingers at him. Pharisees could get their hands on him. They could put him to a whipping post. They could put a crown of thorns on his head. They could beat him. They could put him on a cross. Well, they can't do that now. The world can't do. So the next best thing the world has is who? Us, Christians. So they got to hate the Christian. But Christ is saying, don't get too full of yourself. You're not all that in a bag of chips. They, they really hate me. You're just the only source they have to hate. So if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. For this is a good spiritual litmus test. If you got acquaintances, and by our verbiage of co-workers and friends that are not believers, profess not to be believers, don't care about knowing about Christ, don't believe all that stuff, don't want anything to do with it, but yet they never mock you and they just want to hang out with you and they really like you and they think you're cool, <laughs> you may want to look in the mirror. Because if you're living according to the gospel, they're probably not going to want to hang out with you that much. And if anything, they're going to be attacking you and slandering you and mocking you. This is what the Scripture says. You know, if you... If you yeah. Oh, they'll, they'll, lot, they'll hurl all kinds of things into our face to attack Christ, okay? So Christ had his enemies. We will, or we should have our enemies now it doesn't mean we want the Christ to go out to make enemies no he went out to save he, he 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 witnessed he loved immensely he was long-suffering forgiving we should be the same way but we can't ever waver from the truth as more we stand on the truth especially in the world that we're in today your list of enemies is going to grow it's going to grow scripturally if you're living by the gospel Two. Christ's enemies, as we read, will be his footstool. Now, as being co-heirs, that also brings about our victory. Look what it says in Revelation 19. We'll read a little bit here, 11 through 15. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called the faithful and the true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as the flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but himself. And he was clothed with, uh, with a vesture, dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. Have you ever read that before? Did you know that was one of the names for Christ? The Word of God? How powerful it is. 14. And the, arm, and the armies uh, which, he, uh, which are in heaven followed him upon the white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a, a sharp sword, uh, that with it he shall smite the nation, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepresses of the fierceness of wrath of the Almighty God. We know by way of this scripture, when God says, sit still, Lord, uh, you know, Christ the Lord, he says, I'm going to make the world your footstool. Boom, right there. Christ is going to come back. We know with his legion of angels. And those that are saved and those who are raptured up and those that, that you know, finish the race and use their gifts and have the right motive get to come back 
and, and be a part of this battle that we're, re we're reading right here. So when you say the world's going to be made his footstool, does that not bring us victory too? And it's, Now, while it's not our footstool, do we not get to live underneath the shelter of that footstool? Yeah. Because we will get to reign and rule with Christ by way of that. The enemies of Christ shall be made his footstool, either by humble submission, i.e. a Christian, and entire subjection to his will, casting themselves down to his feet, or by utter destruction. He shall trample upon those who continue to be obstinate and shall triumph over them. But by this, our victory is promised, of which John got a glimpse of in Luke 6. Look what it says in Luke 6, 27 through 28. Because John, while on the island of Patmos, uh, not there, and I'm not sorry, not there, but John said this, But I say unto you which hear, Love ye your enemies, do good unto them which hate you, that's hard to do, is it not? John's understanding that, look, Christ is, is going to reign and rule. The world's going to be his footstool. Everything is going to submit to him. Everything is going to bow down to him, either by will, you know, I mean, by, you know, uh, submission and surrender to Christ, or by being defeated. John's saying, look, don't start boasting. No, start loving. Start loving. Because what we need to do, we need to pray for our enemies. We need to pray for those that are obstinate towards Christ. We need to pray for those family members and friends that oppose the gospel. Why? Because we know destruction is coming, do we not? Shame on the Christian that says, oh, you don't want any of that, Stephen? <laughs> well, you got something coming to you. I can't wait to see it. Is that Christ-like? No, our heart should bleed. Oh, Stephen, you know, not pertaining to the gospel. Let me share another verse with you. Christ is coming back. Christ is coming, and his, his legion of angels are going to defeat evil. Only those that are washed in his blood, that have accepted his redeeming work, will be spared. This is the love that John understood that we need to be sharing with our worst enemies. Because if we truly value our salvation, we clearly have a a clear picture of eternity and being co-heirs with Christ and what comes by way of Christ? How can we say we understand that and we long for that and yet we don't want everybody else to have it as well? Kind of short-sighted and very, very selfish to say the least. Number three, the Father will faithfully deliver. Let's look at Psalms 33 verse 22. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we, what? Hope in thee. God the Father, as we see in Hebrews chapter 1, has undertaken for this, and he will see it done. Did he not tell Christ? He told Christ to sit on my right hand till I make thy enemies thy footstool. God's in control of everything. Control of everything. And he just told the second person, the triune Godhead, not even us, the second person, the triune Godhead, for now your work is done. You've been honored. You've been glorified. Now sit still until I make the world your footstool, either by submission and surrender or by destruction. 
So if the Father promised that to the Son, and we're co-heirs with the Son, how good is that promise for us? Pretty strong, is it not? There you go, right there. Sit on the throne with co-heirs. It says it you know, right there. It clarifies their force. And I, you know, I was wrote this today. You know, we hit, we have, uh, you know, we can have beautiful houses and no home to sleep in in peace. Hundreds of shoes and yet no direction in our life. We can have endless clothes but can't cover the pain. And thus our hope begins to fade. But spiritual hope is drawn from a deeper well than this world. As the psalmist explains, we cannot rely upon our own armies or horses or our own resources to deliver us. The beautiful image is that of God whose eyes are locked on us, whose love never fails, who is our help and our shield. God paints a positive picture for our future, our forever future. When our hope and trust are firmly connected to our unchangeable, the immutability of God, we know deep in our souls that God's love will sustain us through this life and through eternity. There's where our hope lies. And we can hang our spiritual hat on that because if the Father can promise to the second person in Godhead that this is what he's going to do, we can take it to the spiritual bank. We can deposit it. Oh, I got a guarantee. What did God tell you? It doesn't matter what he told me. But he told the second person in trying Godhead that it all is going to be a footstool to him. That's what I'm banking in. And as co-heirs with him, I get to share in that footstool. and get to sit with him. So the Father will faithfully deliver. And then the fourth and final point, Christ's purpose and ours through all this. Look at Romans 8.37. Nay, in all these things, we are more than what? Conquerors. Through who? Him, Christ, who loved us. Those don't say we love Christ. Why? Uh, because he first loved us. By Christ and through Christ. Was Christ and is Christ not promised through God? Hebrews chapter 1. Does it not promise us, the Father, that Christ will conquer everything? And then Christ says that then we... Two can be more than conquerors in who? In him, just like I conquered, just like I overcame, just like I fulfilled the will of the Father, so can we. You say, I, I, I can't, I can't do that. I can't do what Christ did. Well, no, and there's some truth to that. We can't in and of ourselves. But through Christ, can we not? Yes, Christ says... Just as the, the Father promised Christ he'll make the world his footstool, Christ says, I promise you that through me you can be more than conquerors. It, it's just a trickle-down theory of the promise that started with the Father that falls upon us. Christ shall go on to rule and reign until this is done. He shall not leave any of his great designs unfinished. He shall go on conquering and to conquer. And it becomes his people... To go in their duty, our duty, conquering what? How do we conquer? How do we become more conquer, more than conquerors? Huh? Yeah, through Christ. And what did Christ come to do? 
seeking to save those who are lost. Our power is the gospel through the Holy Spirit through the anointing of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us that we should be tapping into every morning of our lives to empower us beyond the flesh, to subdue our flesh, to empower us, that we can have the mind that's in Christ being us, that the power of the Holy Spirit would anoint our words and put us before those whose hearts are ready to receive the gospel. That prayer right there empowers us with the same power that rose Christ from the grave. The only thing we have to do is just live our day in Christ-likeness, waiting, if it's God's will, that day to bring somebody into our lives. And if we does, are we not already prayed up and powered up? That was covered this morning, or it should have been that morning in your prayer. only thing you need to do now is just open your mouth and let the Holy Spirit speak through you. And we will be more than conquerors just like Christ was. That's our duty. That's our duty by way of the promises that trickle down from the Father through the Son and to us. Conquering in the gospel. Believers have always had to face hardships in many forms. It will be persecutions, illness, imprisonment, even death. These sometimes cause us to fear that they've been abandoned by Christ. But Paul told us with great clarity. He exclaims that it's impossible when we live in accordance to God's word, in the will of the Father to be separated from Christ. Nothing can separate us from Christ. Nothing. Now, there's things we can do in our personal decisions that we can break fellowship with Christ and can diminish the power of the Holy Spirit within us because we suppress the Holy Spirit in our sin. But the only thing we have to do is what? Repent, make it right. As soon as we repent with the right heart, don't just say, I'm sorry. I mean, you repent. So if you get into the full definition, to change your mind, to acknowledge you're wrong and God's word was right, change your mind. Like David, don't go back to your same sin tomorrow. David had his fair share of sin. David just didn't commit the same sin twice. Break, break the bondage of sin. Turn against it. Go the opposite direction. What the word repent truly means, to turn against, to change one's mind from your thinking to align with the word of God. That's all we have to do. God, you're right. I'm wrong. Empower me, Holy Spirit, not to do that. Boom, we're back in fellowship with God. Now we pray to the Holy Spirit to empower us through the gospel, and we're back on track, and we're more than conquerors through Christ. So right here in this one little chapter, in just five short weeks, we got this beautiful imagery that the Father painted of the Son. And everything points to here to verse 13. It exonifies, you know, the honor, the affirmation, the power and the authority of Christ that by what the Father promised the Son, the Son promises us to do the same thing. So when Christ came and lived for these 33 years and died the cruel death, he's not really asking us even to die a cruel death. He's just saying, hey, live for the gospel like I live for the gospel. That's all I'm asking of you. Is my faithful children just do what I did. You don't have to go out and do miracles. You don't have to do anointings over people. You don't have to see the lame walk, the blind see. You don't have to do that. You, Christ said, I just need you to be conquerors by way of the gospel. Because is that not the greatest miracle there is, the gospel? It's like, yeah. Well, I want to see miracles. Well, share the gospel, and you will see miracles you'll see the greatest miracle of all 
Well, yeah, but they still limp. They're still blind. They're still deaf. They are for now, and they may be for this season, but I can promise you their miracle will come in eternity. And the next time you see them, they will be talking. They will be running. They, will, they won't have any, you know, you know uh, physical ailments. You know, I won't see it now. Well, this isn't heaven. This isn't glory. This isn't glory. It's a simple world. We all die in it anyway. Well, they can talk now. Well, they may be able to talk. Are they not still going to die? They're still going to die. There's nothing we're going to do to keep anybody alive physically, but we can help people come alive eternally. This is what it means to be more than conquerors, and it's what Christ asked us to do, just to do what he was willing to do for the Father and the Holy Spirit. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Rely upon the power of the Father and the Holy Spirit in Christ now for our case. Draw that with all faith. Live in accordance and obedience to it and walk it out and let the gospel be seen in our lives. Amen? Questions, comments, thoughts? Hebrews chapter 1 here. Nobody? Deborah brought up a good point as we start walking forward through Hebrews so much more that's unfolded as we walk through it will be off the foundation of what was laid to what we see here in chapter 1 this is why the father goes to great extent here in chapter 1 to paint the imagery of who and what Christ is because everything if all authority is given to it shouldn't I mean it shouldn't surprise us that the father and Holy Spirit points everything back to Jesus good analogy good illustration bounce what that was that oh yeah first Corinthians 15 death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ yep now there there's so many Psalms 110 just it's so vivid. It's so interesting because that's what Jesus used against the Pharisees to entrap them in a sense or humble them, not to trap them. But, yeah, there's so many scriptures that point back to the deity of Christ and the foundation for our faith and, uh, and all that we trust in and live by. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I believe that simple is it not either you're for me or you're against me it was the Joshua choose you this day whom you'll serve as for me and my house 
We will serve the Lord. Joshua 24, I believe. All right. Well, we will continue to walk through this. Brother Brad will pick up next Wednesday and start with Chapter 2, or he may want to rehash something in Chapter 1, but we'll continue to walk through this verse by verse and point out some key truths. Oh, Brother Brad will be here by himself, but we will be in VBS. Yeah, uh, yeah. we will not have journey groups next Wednesday because we'll have VBS going on. So uh, we'll pick it up the following Wednesday, obviously, and uh, keep on walking through it. Uh, I would want, I'm glad you brought that up, Peggy. I would ask if you're active on social media, would you please, before you leave, get with Mark and get the link, the posting for VBS. I'm going to ask you if you'd be willing to post it on your personal Facebook or Instagram, whatever you use, because we all have different sets of friends that are close to you. It'd be an opportunity for them to have a, a location to bring their children and grandchildren to be involved. So if you'd be willing to do that, uh, please do so, or, or maybe you can email Mark, and Mark can send it to you. And just if you'd be willing to post that, that would uh, that'd go a long ways. That would help. But uh, we'll be kicking that off this Sunday at 6 o'clock. So uh, be, be in prayer about that for sure. All right. Well, let's pray. We'll wrap it up. Father, we thank you again for tonight. We thank you for your word that, uh, Jesus, you are the word of God. And you, you lived the word. You're the living word in which we can, we can just uh, live off of. In this uh, Hebrews chapter 1, though we just barely skimmed the surface, uh, we still saw a, a great imagery, Father, of what you painted of Christ and, and all that he uh, entails and in the power and authority that comes to him and by way of him. Uh, we just ask that we can uh, bring forth that image in our own life, that we can walk in those promises, that we ourselves can be more than conquerors uh, through the gospel and uh, by the sharing of the gospel, just uh, paint that same picture of who and what Christ is. I ask that you would just anoint each and every one of us in your power. Holy Spirit, use us uh, for the Father's work and just to, to further the kingdom. And uh, we just pray that this mind that's in Christ can dwell within us and uh, that we can live in a way that uh, just illustrates the gospel in a powerful way. We thank you for uh, what you blessed us with here, the resources you've given us, and uh, we just ask that we use it for your kingdom, for your glory. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us online, and uh, we'll pray for our offering.